So, um, you know, g'day, Brendan. So cool to see you. Um, now, I feel very privileged to have you on because, like, you are one seriously interesting human being. Okay, so this is what I know about you. And I've got to say, you're one of our first guests ever to have your own Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, so you are seriously, yeah. seriously up there. Okay, why I'm really interested in you is that you bring together some things that really interest me a hell of a lot. Okay, first of all, you come from the rodeo world and the rodeo world was pretty important in my life for understanding horses, okay, that, that particular aspect. Um, so you've got that under your belt. Um, you're also um, a UFC fighter, so you bring in the martial arts like element, which I just think is um, has really a lot of alignment with horses. That's for me personally. I'm quite happy yep. for you to tell me your insights into that. Yeah. Uh, the second is you're a horseman. And you're one hell of a great saddler. Your work is beautiful. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. So you bring in some elements. Not only that, you've gone on this journey to America. And that first thing I sent you yesterday that I think is really, and it's just a simple thing you've written on your website, but it's mm -hmm. intriguing. Born in Australia, forged in like, you know, in America. Yeah, forged in the American West. Yeah. That's right. Now, That's can, you, can you tell us about that? What does that mean? You know, those simple two statements. How did American America forge an Australian-born guy? Uh man, that it's it's funny. Like that's kind of like my uh, business slogan for my saddle company, but yeah. it's 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 pretty deep on like different levels because uh, when I when I explain it to people in, in terms of the equipment I make, you know, like the saddles and tack, it's, it's just like so much of my influence obviously was from Australia. And I was always uh, just enamored with like the saddles and tack of Australian stockmen growing up. And then obviously during my travels to the States over the years, I've had a, a lot of influence in, in, in that respect and, and sort of trying to bring the two together but then for me on a personal level, uh, you know, it's the same, same thing for me is so much of my, my career really like uh, took off more in a martial arts sense when I was contracted to the UFC, which is a, an American based company. And, uh, and then, you know, coming over here for training and fights and that sort of thing, it, it helped also forge me and forge my path into who I am uh like who I am now my entire life now really it's ultimately you know me coming to the states for a fight uh in a roundabout uh sort of way and this is a very short story yeah. it's a long story short uh is how okay. I met my wife as well who's yeah. American so uh yeah so it's just you know it it really it's basically the story of uh how I ended up here and how I ended a lot of how I became who I became is that journey mm-hmm Okay, can you tell us a bit about that? Like, give us the um, that there's like long story short or short story long. <laughs> so, can you give uh -huh. us the can you give us the the short version of what actually happened? How did you get to America to have a fight, join the UFC? How did like a you know a guy from Queensland that rode Bronx, but also knew you're university educated? You got some really good um, insights into performance and and sport and and things like that. How did this guy end up in America for a fight? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll try and keep the long story as short as possible. But uh, yeah, I uh, I loved uh, horses and like working horses and and, and stuff as a 
you know, when I was young and through my teens and, and I played a lot of sport in my teens as well. And, uh, and I did uh, high school rodeo. I, I rode saddle bronc in high school, but my main thing was uh, sport wise was like rugby league and rugby union. Yeah. I was playing that all the time. I just loved compete. I, I still love competing like anything. You put me in any competition and I'll, <laughs> I love it. And uh and so I was at university. I went to university and got a. I actually got an animal science degree. And uh, and I wanted to. Pro, I knew I wanted to do something with in like with horses. Even though my my uh, major was in uh, beef cattle production was okay. my major, but uh, I kind of did that because I wanted to ride a horse and uh, and like chase cattle around, you know. But. Uh, <laughs> And, strategic. Uh, and, yeah, it was strategic because they were like, you got pretty good grades in high school, you should go to university. So I just picked yeah. the one thing that would like uh, kind of keep me in that world, but it it kind of didn't. <laughs> but, well, yeah, so um, while I was at university, the horse flu hit Australia. You guys, I'm sure, remember. Uh, it was equine probably, influenza. yeah, equine influenza uh, hit Australia yeah. and like, when I'm explaining it to people nowadays, I kind of say it's sort of like the pandemic, like the COVID-19 thing, but it was for horses where it shut everything down. You couldn't move them around. You couldn't go touch like certain horses and then go to the next property. And uh, so what I was doing at university for like money was I would go to places and ride green started horses. Like if they'd just been broken in, but the people just wanted more miles put on them, I'd go do that. And I couldn't do that anymore because of the horse flu. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of sitting around twiddling my thumbs and I kind of didn't know what to do. I wasn't playing a sport in particular at that time. I was boxing, like I was training boxing and, and had some boxing clients. And then uh, a friend of mine at university had uh, had a burnt DVD. I don't know, it, like a lot of the people listening will remember burnt DVD. So yeah, I know. Bucks over <laughs> now, like what's a burnt DVD? Uh, they... In my, yeah, this, this friend of mine there had a burnt DVD of the UFC and I, okay. I was like, what is that? And he goes, yeah, it's mixed martial arts. And uh, so I can't quite remember the specifics, but I started training it like that week. I think I found really? the gym like an hour and a half away and uh, I would drive an hour and a half into the city and uh, train maybe twice a week. My parents lived in there anyway, so I would like drive in, see my parents train and then go back out. And, uh, and so that's how I sort of started training. And pretty quickly, uh, I was, must've been showing some promise and they offered me a fight within like very short time. Oh, wow! And I just took it. Yeah. I took the fight, obviously thinking that I was like the toughest guy in the world. <laughs> they offered me a fight and I wasn't, I wasn't like a tough guy, like wanting to be a tough guy, but I just, uh, like, as in you know, trying to intimidate people. But I just knew, I knew just from things I'd done that I could like take a, take a flogging. Yeah. So uh, I figured, um, you know, if I just put in a little bit, if I just could uh, focus the little bit of stuff that I'd learned in a short period and try and get that done, then I've just backed myself to do well. Yeah. So I took that fight, won that fight. And then I just kept taking like, with each fight I would win, I would train more seriously and I would learn more and, uh, and just, you know, kept, uh, kept on. I, one thing that helped me a lot was I meant, I acted like I was a professional long before I really was, you know, I mean, I was getting paid for those fights, but not a lot, not a lot of money, but, 
but I was acting in my head like I was professional, you know. And uh, I see a lot of a lot of uh, athlete, young athletes now. They get they want to be a professional like athlete, whatever it is, professional footballer or a professional yeah. uh, bull rider or whatever. Yeah. But they they forget the professional part. Like they don't manage their injuries. Yeah. Uh, and you know what I mean? They want it. They want the, the excitement and the glory of the competition. They don't really want to do the tedious, boring stuff that gets yeah. you to the competition. And uh, that's what I was good at. So long story short, I kept winning fights. Uh, got yeah. on a reality TV show, which was the UFC owns the TV show. And uh, that brought me over to North America. And yeah, that's it. Then I just was here, I guess, here back or back and forth to Australia and America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well that's can I so can I ask you so you didn't um, ever be involved in any kind of martial arts until you got into that 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 type of fighting. So until you went to that gym and kind of started training for it, you didn't do any martial arts before then. Just boxing. Not really. I uh, I boxed. Yeah, I boxed in uh, high school just to kind of stay fit in between playing football. And uh, also because I was just drawn to it because of the challenge. I was always, yeah. I, I was really drawn to things that was like one, one on one and physically hard. So like fighting obviously is the, uh, the pinnacle of that type of thing because uh, you can't hide behind anyone. You can't blame someone else, you know, like if you, if you lose a football game, you can blame your halfback because he had a bad game or whatever. And like, yeah, obviously, uh, as a teenager, you see that a lot, you know, because uh, it's those funny years where people, you know, you teenagers, we don't want to accept blame or whatever. So I just was kind of uh, drifting away from team sports where people could hide, hide their mistakes behind other people. And I just wanted to be doing something that was where if I, if I won or lost, it was all on me. That's what I loved. Yeah. 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 So, and that's, uh, yeah, that's basically it. I just wanted that one-on-one challenge and the and the, the the fact I had to face the consequences of what I was doing is what yeah. I attracted me to like fighting mm-hmm. okay all right so I've got another question for you um, related to that when you said that you had you came in with this professional mindset which is different from mm-hmm. you know, lots of people that go in they, they they go in undisciplined or entitled or whatever yeah so w- why do you think what made you discipline? Was there something that you can that you can think back to that made you have a bit of a different attitude or a different mindset to it that you could take on something new yet be serious about it? Yeah, I think honestly a lot of it, I think a lot of about it now of what made me that way. And I think a lot was my, uh, when I was really little, my dad uh, would always tell me stories of, uh, you know, like sometimes fictional and sometimes true stories of, like heroes, like a hero's journey sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and a lot of the time, he, he my dad like loves military history, and yeah. we were, he would tell me about uh, a lot of like the original special forces guys back in the day, like the original yeah. SAS guys in World War Two, and and that sort of thing. Guys that were kind of uh, they were above average, but they were also it wasn't like special forces now where people know what you're getting into. Well, kind of, you know, if you want to go be a Navy SEAL, you can look up what, what it's probably going to be like. Whereas back then, these guys were just, they were called out of necessity, really. And, uh, but so I think a lot of the, the time, what made them successful is they overly, they like planned stuff a lot and they found out a lot as much 
information as they could about what they were doing and that sort of thing. So I think that that just kind of shaped the way I thought where I could fight people a lot more experienced than me. And I did really early uh, in my career. My second fight where I had my experience was like not a lot at all. Uh, I fought a kickboxer. He was a real, like a world, a former world champion kickboxer. And uh, he, the guy had had like more fights than I had hot dinners. And, uh, and I beat him. Wow. Uh, I, yeah, I beat him just because I kind of like was able to plan to take the fight to areas where I knew I was stronger and he was, he was weaker. And mm. for a guy, when I look back for a guy who was like 20, I think I was 21, uh, that's, you know, like that foresight I had uh, was pretty good. But like I only appreciate it now. At the time I was just running and gunning so hard I didn't really, right. <laughs> didn't really think about it. So can I ask you, do you think, because what you did with, with rodeo was pretty, you know, that's really facing a lot of fear and I get really fascinated by bull riding and bronc riding or just rough stock events full stop. So, uh-huh. you know, do you think, because when you get on, because you mainly, you rode broncs, yeah? Yeah. And bulls. And bulls? Yeah. Okay. And bulls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See, not, that well, just... mind, not well, mind you. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't oh, matter. It doesn't matter. The whole matter. sitting on them thing is crazy. Yeah, the sitting on the thing, but also the fact is, and you see the guys that, you know, they get themselves to get on as soon as that gate opens, they throw themselves off because they can't kind of control their fear at all, okay? Or whatever has yeah. in their brain, you know, hasn't actually clicked in their brain that they're able to or they've trained to a point where their body can take over those predictions they need to ride that that animal. Um, but yeah. Also, the fear's not, they're not blacking out because of it. You know, they're able to keep their mind is still, um, there's still some consciousness there or whatever. So do you think that being able to face that from a young, you've had that experience and your mind's had that experience of going through that. Did that give you an edge as a fighter? Uh, I think it did. Like I never uh, at the time consciously thought about that, but uh, looking back, I'm sure that sort of thing did help a little bit um, because it's almost it's almost like overtraining. Uh, you know, if you're yeah. if you're yeah if you're willing to get uh you know like climb over a shoot and get on uh, essentially like a wild animal, then like fighting another human being is not as bigger. It, it's still real. It still can be really daunting, but yeah, I'm sure it did help a little bit. But I don't think it was necessarily like the fact I had rodeo yeah. that helped me. I think it was the 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 person, the person I walk. The thing in my brain that made me want to rodeo is the yeah. same thing that made me want to be successful at fighting. Yeah. So uh, I think that's more what it is. It's not that it, it prepared me for it. It's more that there was something going on in my head that made me be able to be in the middle of like chaos and uh, and still keep everything together. Yeah. So do you think that's like an adrenaline thing, the way that you react to adrenaline sort of has an effect on what you want to get involved in? Like do you get adrenalized by things and excited by things in other areas of your life as well now? Yeah. Ah, hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, yes, but in a different way. I mean, I still train every day. Uh, I'm actually going to head to the gym a little later and teach teach some classes, and I get in with the guys that I coach who are good. You know, they're, they're always trying to 
take me out. And uh, so it keeps me sharp. Although I'm not doing it competitively these days, it keeps me sharp. Um, I still do that. It's obviously different. Like it's not the yeah. adrenaline because I'm amongst friends. But I start. I love. Uh, I start colts still, and uh, yeah. or breaking horses, uh, and um, that's similar, but it's a lot more uh, like controlled. I guess it's the same feeling, but now because of my age and maybe maturity, it expresses itself in a different way. So it's that same feeling internally, but ideally, like I get on a horse for the first ride and it doesn't bark and everything goes great. And I still have that same feeling of achievement and that little bit of yeah, adrenaline yeah. that I would have in a fight. But but from the outside, it looks the opposite. It doesn't look yeah. chaotic, you know. Yeah. And that's what I'm cha- that's what I'm chasing now is to be uh, is that sort of thing. But I mean, I still am down competitively. Like I still uh, love anything that's pretty pretty hard and fast and whatever, you know. I just. Uh, also try to make good decisions for the rest of my life <laughs> i think that's the maturity so, bit there yeah i think it is yeah yeah but it's it's hard like if i'm watching uh if i'm watching some fights and i see some of my friends or like former training partners fighting and stuff i always get that itch to want to uh compete again but it's just that honestly it's just that challenge it's that yeah. i you know because if i on if i have a some horses at the same time if i'm starting like some horses i kind of don't feel it as much um uh but yeah because you there's a there's that need getting filled in another part of my life i guess but yeah i love that that challenge with like a little bit of a i love high stakes challenges you know what i mean so like breaking in horses or fighting or whatever it's like it's not uh if something goes wrong you you and it doesn't have to go terribly wrong, but I mean, it, it, in starting a horse, if things aren't working out, it's because of something I'm doing, you know? Yeah. So I have to be self-reflective and realistic. That's what I like. Same as in a fight. Like if, if you get knocked out, you can't really blame uh, someone else or blame the, the, the wind direction or whatever. It's probably because you, you did something wrong. So, yeah. Okay. So you said something then that's really cool. So, yeah, so what I find is personally for me, working horses or having horses in my life kind of really trained my thinking skills. Yeah, so I find horses because, okay, just a tiny little bit of background about me. My research area has been focused around how people think, right? So um, uh-huh. and how you and how we learn to think and how you can teach people to think. And I've always uh-huh. thought that horses are a great kind of tool for an experience to help you learning how to think. So you said something that was really interesting there, that when you're working the horse, it is. It's that whole thing is that you're observing. So you lose, you're using all like your cognitive skills, like your really high-level ones. You're observing them, you're analysing them, but you're also reflecting on yourself and you're making decisions, right? And that's what you said about horses. Like when it's gone wrong, you've got to reflect back on yourself and you've got to, you've got to change what you're doing. In a fight, is it a similar thing? You've got to like look how the fight's going and you have a, like a, a, a similar type thinking or is it a little bit more fast-paced with that? Because I found personal uh, horses have slowed me down. They slowed me down. Like, yeah. Tell me your insights into that. Yeah, it's it is very similar in a lot of ways. Exactly what you just said, and it's just obviously the pace and the energy is uh, is like different. Um, so one thing, 
like I say to people who have say who are trying to either learn martial arts and they have worked with horses, uh, it doesn't really work the other way. Like sometimes I try and tell horse stuff to martial arts guys, and they're like, "You That's sound it. crazy." But uh, <laughs> but, but it's basically like uh, if you're working with horses, especially like say like a, a greener horse, and uh, where it's kind of like a blank slate, you're trying to get your energy kind of matched up to it to where you're the conductor of the band essentially and uh and you can you can bring it if it's if it's getting a little like uh highly strung because of a situation you can kind of bring your energy down and then bring its energy down you know and uh and that that is the same what you're trying to do in fighting is essentially the same thing is kind of control the pace of the fight and control your opponent's energy but it's it's a lot harder because they're kind of trying to do that to you um and usually like with a horse ideally like they're if you can get if you if they can see that you are trying with their best interests in mind they'll let you be the conductor eventually you know like if they can kind of get that feeling that 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 you're doing it for them uh, whereas obviously in a fight, the other guy is not always going to let be receptive to let you control the pace. So, but you still have to be trying. So I say to guys like, if you watch two very amateur guys fight, it basically is like a rocket ship to space that just explodes up there. Like these two guys go as hard as they can for as long as they can until one guy just can't, just can't, is too unfit, and then the other guy wins. It's basically it's kind of like this. Uh, you know, an upward trajectory and there's no plateau, there's no backing off. These two guys put their foot on the pedal, on the gas, and they just don't take it off. Whereas when you watch a more experienced guy's fight, there'll be higher paced moments and then they'll slow it back down and then they'll rest and then they'll pick it up again and then they'll rest. And uh, it's a lot like good horsemanship if you look at what, say, round penning a colt. If you're round penning a colt, with the whole sort of fighting analogy that I was just talking about, you've got to know when to put pressure on and take pressure off. And, uh, and obviously like a lot of that comes from experience too. Um, and you can, you can get great, like great results, uh, knowing when to put pressure on back pressure off and, and all that. But ultimately what all that boils down to, like whether it's working colds or fighting is like being in control of your, you have to have like an intimate, understanding of yourself and your energy and your emotions and that's where you hear people throw it around all the time with horses and also in the fight game they're like no ego you know i have no ego but then something sort of starts to go a bit wrong the horse might be starting to put it one over them or whatever and their ego goes out of control and uh, things go downhill so yeah and and i think that is just maybe they don't understand like their own energy and uh reaction to things as maybe as intimately as they think they do you know do you think that's because people are just not they have no awareness of it there's no connection to it they're not yeah i think so yeah i think a huge part is firstly like the average person doesn't even have an awareness of that at all yeah um like you know if you if i say to people if i'm trying to explain this concept to people and i say have you ever been somewhere and like a certain person just walks in the room and everyone's happy they're there and excited that they're there and then some another person might walk into a room and everyone just kind of like 
it's a little kind of high. It's a little tense, you know. And both people might not have even said anything. They just walk into the room and it's their energy and how they carry themselves and that sort of thing. And uh, it's definitely a very real thing. Um, And I think like we all experience it every single day as humans, but until we kind of consciously think about it, it, people aren't that aware of what their their energy does to things around them, whether it's animals or other people. Um, So I think that's the biggest thing is first... on the first level, people don't even have an awareness that it exists. And then and then the next step is like, well, how do I control that? Yeah. You know? what's, and, what's your uh, advice for that? Like, how do you think people learn to control it? How can you learn to control it? Or become um, aware of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think a good way, an easy way, if we're talking about, say, horse people, to yeah. uh, about how to be aware of it and how to control it is to say uh, have a horse like on a lead rope like you're going to groundwork it but sometimes when people think groundwork they just hunt a horse around in circles yeah. like so it's running mindless circles but I think if you try to like make it step off uh, working it from the ground step off like as slowly as possible without using any verbal cues like no clucking or whatever and just see what you got to do posturally and with your energy to make it step off nice and calm, you know, and then make it speed up to a faster walk and then go from a walk to a trot then bring it back down. And then like, but take more notice of what your body and your energy is doing than what the horse is doing. You know, I think a lot of the time when people are working a horse, they're just looking at the horse, but they're not aware of what's my body and what's my energy doing and what's my posture doing that's making it react like this. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good start. And then, uh, yeah, people can start working on that. And I and I guarantee if people did that as just like a drill more for themselves than for their horse, they would become aware of, oh, I'm, I'm asking my horse to slow down, but I'm really tense. So that was a big... Uh, you know uh that was like a big breakthrough for me it's like a lot of stuff started to change then for me and how what how fast i was able to get uh certain results with uh young horses like pretty unhandled horses and that's i haven't uh really got um you know rode a lot of really nice horses like trained in a certain discipline i've i've been able to i've been lucky enough to be around some great people in various disciplines that let me ride their nice horses and it's good to try and get a feel of what something ends up like you know but the majority of what i've done what i've done with horses has always been with really unhandled or like super unhandled i mean yeah. uh, there was one place where, where i was for a while where uh the horses were the first time they were touched ever was by me like we would rope them and then go from there so uh that's really that's a really good uh uh, like you have to be aware of like your energy and its effect on things around you if you're in that scenario because um, sometimes if you ha- if you have like so- an old plug that's been around some old horse it you can be doing a set like you know like not aware of your emotions and your energy and your reactions and the horse kind of can ignore it for you and let you get away with it but uh, with really young horses they're a, a mirror they're like the most perfect mirror ever and uh, that's where I think horses and fighting are both mirrors, but re- like young and 
young and unhandled horses and fighting are like the most pure mirrors in the world because they're both giving you a really uh, true reflection of what you are, what you're doing and what you're doing well and what you're doing, what, what you could be doing better. Yeah. And it's kind of like that thing that people have to get over. It's that, that, like how confronting it is when that gets pointed out and people either reject it and they keep going down that kind of ignorant path where it's just I suppose they stay in that kind of chaotic Mm -hmm. poor relationship type thing or or their skills never develop or they allow it to confront them and they deal with that kind of I suppose that when it comes back to that ego thing that you talk about like you can only confront you can only confront and improve if you face that side of you yeah that's that's yeah 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 that's exactly exactly what you just said it's like hard to make big improvements in life in any aspect if you're not like reflective you know or self or self-reflective of of you know yeah and uh but yeah and then I don't know. I think you've also got to have a balance there of also like not beating yourself up too much yeah. too, you know? Yeah. Uh, so like the great thing with horses is they're so forgiving. So yeah. I find what happens is some people are kind of ignorant to maybe what their effect is having on a horse. And then you kind of point it out to them, try and point it out to them softly. And then they realize they have this kind of awakening. Then they kind of hate themselves for it. They're like, I'm yeah. not my horse. And yeah. then, uh, like, yeah, that's nah, so nah, true. Nah. Like horses, yeah, horses are so forgiving, and uh, that's what I say to people. It's like they can read uh, intent better than we can, yeah. and I think you could be you could be doing. Ideally, we do the right thing with the right intentions. That's ideal, but if you're doing slightly the wrong thing with still the right intentions, yeah. a horse a horse can tell. Whereas uh, you could also be doing essentially the right thing, like the right maybe movement, yeah. the right drill, the right whatever, with bad intentions. Yeah. And a horse will also tell, and I think that's why people joke about mares because I think they like they're ready to check your resume a little more. And uh, <laughs> and and like a mare, if you even are doing the right, whether it's a drill or the asking the right cue or whatever, but you're doing it with bad intentions, like they will kind of get angry at you a little more. <laughs> so they keep you pretty honest. What about stallions? What, what do you reckon their opinion of that? Are they different? So stallions versus mares? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. what do you think I'm they're a little a, bit different? I'm just having a, yeah, I'm having a deep think here. I okay. think, uh, I think... Uh, I don't want to. I don't want it to sound uh, like I'm generalizing, maybe. But I just find like it's a little like like uh, human, like women, how they can be a little more like deeper. I don't. I didn't just call human women horses. Help! My wife. My wife's gonna get me. They can kind of think a little deeper, or like not think deeper, but interpret something deeper on an emotional level. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think, like, say as men we kind of might react more uh like physically first or like uh not physically but maybe like primally like our primal instincts take over before we think about it emotionally and so i think what i've found with like mares 
I have the pleasure of like having a really a, a mare that I love, but she's like mm-hmm. the quintessential uh, one that will let you know straight away if you're being a bit like if you're being unfair, I guess, if I'm being unfair. And uh, yeah, she doesn't necessarily react primally. It's just like those subtle cues of you can tell that you're upsetting her. Whereas uh, a, a stallion, like, uh, I feel like they might react primally first. And yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's just my opinion. And uh, there's certainly scope for that to be wrong. But, uh, but yeah, I just, that's, that's kind of like the, uh, and, and I've had a lot more experience with mares than I have with stallions. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's just what I've found is, uh, you can, you can maybe get away a little more subtle things as long as you don't kind of. You know, where you hear of people getting into, where I have heard and seen people get in trouble with stains is if they kind of like physically almost challenge them, but don't yeah. do it to a level, don't do it to a level where the stallion knows that they're the boss. So it's kind of nitpicking at them physically. Yeah. Yes. And then the stallion will let them know. But, yeah. uh, where, but like uh, the mares, where I see people ha- uh, get on the wrong side of mares, it's almost like, uh, or like hurting their feelings in a way or you know like like being un being i i honestly the best way i could put it is just being unfair to them yeah. you know like uh we all hear people say how they love mares because they have so much try and uh and i i i agree with that and it's like i've found if you if a mare is trying her heart out for you and you keep beating on her or keep whatever they'll just re- yeah they really get upset about that Whereas some geldings will just keep plugging along through that, you know. So yeah. Yeah, look, geldings let you get away with way with crap. Yeah. Take <laughs> <Yeah>. you accountable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I, I like them. I I say I like them until I'm like on one at the end of a long day or something, and then I then I and then I'll be cursing wanting a gelding, but I always go back. I always go back and then get a mare anyway. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Now you post some pretty cool stuff on your Instagram. Like I really like it. I get, as I said, I could, I like the, um, part of my research is, is that I, I come up with a way where you read stuff and you can kind of analyze it for someone's depth of thinking. Yours is, your thinking's really interesting. Right. And also you can say, you can say kind of deep stuff simply as well. Like I really love like this quote, you've got this quote, and it's a horse, it says, look closely at the present you, that, sorry, I'll say it again. Look closely at the present you are creating. It should look like the future you are dreaming. Like that's your words, yeah? yeah. Uh, I think I read it somewhere, but a long time ago and I've always yeah. kind of said it. So I'm definitely not going to claim it. But, yeah, I say it. I, it's one of the things I write on things. I'm a bit of a quote guy. I'm always writing them on things and whatever. Yeah, but that's cool. But, like, it's, it's a really good, like, it show people that there but it's got you working a horse and that's just that's just so true you know it's like look you know it's just like when you work a horse it's that whole thing that you're that well that I see anyway that you're hunting when you're working them the thing that's in your mind is you are hunting that thing that you want them to become you're hunting that particular moment um for that thing that you're trying to convey and communicate with them so you can do that moment of like saying yes that's correct kind of thing that's yeah that's uh, that's really cool 
Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, right, there's this other thing that, that you've said that is really cool. And it's kind of kind of thing about kind of the adventure that your life's been. I really like this. Mm-hmm. And it's another quote again, whether it comes from you or, or someone else. I do find it quite it, it's it's really true. Um, it says this, but not all men rest and peace, but not all men seek rest and peace. Some are born with a spirit of storm in their blood. Okay, and every day you're grateful for the adventurous life that you've led and that you're still leading. We are the sum of the situations we encounter and how we handle them. Don't hide from hardship. Character will take your place as money can't. So yeah. I'm gathering, yeah. like, you can relate that to horses, you know, like you're a sum of every horse and situation you encounter and how you deal with it, but also the rest mm-hmm. of life. Can you tell me a bit more about that, what you meant when you were writing that? Yeah, I, uh, man, I'm trying to think of, like, uh, why I would have been saying it. I mean, that specific time, I'm not sure why I was saying it, but I say it a lot. Uh, and that was kind of a collection of a few different things I say a lot. Uh, the, that first one is a quote. I can't remember where I heard it about the, um, the spirit of the storm in their blood. And, uh, and, and, uh, but just talking about like uh, one thing I tell, I say to people a lot, and especially like younger people that are going through that phase in their life where they might be, uh, kind of going to give up on their dream maybe or their goals because of maybe money or or just to fit in because society's kind of wants them to fit into a pigeonhole and uh and where and how i say like character will take you places money can't because i think it's such a undervalued thing in society these days like it's not really talked about apart from things like this which is great you're doing like this podcast yeah. uh, but as far as like a currency, people don't talk about character really. You know, there's there's like status and like it's for like Instagram followers yeah. and how much <laughs> money people have. Yeah. But uh, mm. but just having having like a character that uh, that is like almost unwavering, you know, and uh, and that's kind of what has like led me into every every situation what's led me to where I am right now and in and out of situations that some have been hard and uh and like uncomfortable but it got me out as well you know and and it it built me into who I am today and it was um just that I was I never wanted to uh not feel the whatever it was I was about to feel you know Uh, I didn't want to go uh you know i didn't want to hide yeah i i uh i obviously don't uh judge anyone for how they're dealing with situations but uh but i have had friends you know where they're trying to change a certain behavior and i'll tell them we'll stop you know like if something's uncomfortable stop say going and getting drunk so you can hide from how it feels because yeah it's gonna suck like it, it's it's going to suck to sit there and feel how this feels, but what's going to happen is you're going to get drunk, and then on the other side of being drunk, it's going to feel it's, you're going to be in the same spot. Whereas if you can ride it out and just and and, and like it's like riding a horse through a few humps and yeah. then it flattens out. But if you it, what happens is if that horse and I've literally seen this scenario here recently, this like literal scenario, this horse it was like a pretty broke horse that person had get on it, it had hump once, it had like crow hop and they would get off and that was the day. And so I was like, well, 
what's happening? But, uh, yeah. but anyway, so I think uh, hiding from hard situations is exactly like that. Like if you're not willing to write a few bucks out, you're going to be in the same place in 10 years and 20 years, yeah. you know? And uh, so, yeah, just that's my thing is like, don't hide from the hard stuff and uh, just feel it, let, let yourself feel it and then go from there. Yeah, that's really cool. So a lot of people that um, that listen to this podcast and they were really like what I interviewed Paulie Daniel who put me on to you, like the questions that they have for Paulie or the, the questions that they, they that I know if I ask them, what would you like to ask this guy, you know, and they'd be very interested yeah. in what you just said right then because a lot of them struggle with when it comes to their horses of, not feeling confident or worried about trying to avoid conflict with their horse kind of at all costs and then then that's it's avoiding yeah. conflict that makes them hit a hit a rut you know or they can't get through you it don't or, come out the other side what is what what advice can you give to these these people that are in that situation yeah uh well okay uh firstly just quickly paulie is a awesome and uh so much of what i've spoken about uh up to this point in this podcast of like just the energy and stuff came from him and he meeting him uh changed changed like my whole mindset with and and i was already fighting at the time so it made me go back and like it just changed my whole mindset so anyway i can't say enough good things about that guy uh he's a legend yeah Uh, so yeah to to uh, address what you just said there about the how to deal with say conflict with their horse and yeah. getting through some rough spots, is that um, like one that situation I was mentioned earlier where we were like starting horses from unhandled like mm. you know never been touched. I was lucky to kind of essentially live with the horses. There was probably like twenty or twenty uh, like two and three year olds, and I just saw them more than I saw a human being and I got to see how they how they interacted and it was a really good uh you know it was it was kind of confirmation of of how I already felt which was like they don't see uh like conflict or or being disciplined maybe like we do as humans and I think that comes back to what I mentioned about ego yes they don't they don't really have that so if you horses are so amazing at being fair i think they're one of the most fair until until we put our tentacles in there and start to mess them up uh horses are like the most fair um animals i think in the world and they understand like intimately what's fair and what's not and that kind of relates back to what i said about mares if my mare if i if i check her for something where she knows that she deserved it she does not care because it's like almost she was like, oh, I, was, I, I deserve that. But then on the flip side, if, if it's the wrong timing, then it, you know, like it's re- it can be really bad. And I think that's that I think we as humans like underestimate a horse's ability to know what, what is fair and what's not. And, uh, and I think the conflict really for us is handling the horses is like just coming to terms and, and finding a balance with what really is fair. You know, and so much of that comes back to our ego. Uh, you know, uh, if you watch horses in their own, in their little herd, if, if one of them is encroaching on the other one's personal space, 
and the other horse asks it to get out by like subtle cues, then it'll let it'll like make the other horse know what's yeah. up, what's up. And and there's no hard feelings. Then they're back in they're back their buddies straight away. Yeah. Uh, and and if that doesn't happen, I've seen with like people and their horse, it's almost like if the horse knows it did something that probably deserved to be checked and it doesn't happen the horse almost gets uh almost like an animosity for the person yeah. and it's not because yeah. they got it's not because they got disciplined it's it's because they didn't get disciplined yeah and uh and and i think it's because they're obviously very uh instinctual animals like they have such strong instincts such strong survival instincts and most horses aren't really the leader. They're looking for a leader. And yeah. so if they kind of test something, if they, if they might push a limit to kind of test, is this guy, is this my leader? Is this my herd leader here? And you don't, then they kind of don't feel safe around you anymore. What you're saying is when, um, you know, when a person kind of isn't consistent, right, and they, the horse mm-hmm. does something when normally it should be corrected or, you know, but someone has, let's just say, inconsistent poor boundaries with a horse and the horse kind of walks into it or walks through it or whatever and there's not that Uh correction there how they kind of get that animosity um and they do and you see it the horses but they are you can see the resentment in the horses or the the kind of the negative emotion that builds in them in that situation and um yeah that was really interesting what what you were saying because it's almost like humans kind of construct reality both socially and physically whereas a horse constructs it physically because as you said the more of a primal reaction to it their reality is only yeah. physical. so if you create this kind of physical world for them and then they push mm. through it you kind of blow their reality out it's like yeah. you know walking around a house and suddenly you can walk through a wall <laughs> it's like yeah it's it disrupts your reality it sends you to chaos and then like then you were saying how you know the the horse and that's what the bit when you just got cut off you were saying that you know the horse is looking for you know that word that we use that leader they're looking for something to follow Mm -hmm. because they're kind of programmed that that particular way Mm -hmm. but when you don't do that and their reality gets like kind of morphed or skewed or goes into chaos yeah. They can't trust you. And that's what that's the bit you got up to when you got cut off. You know, they yeah. lose that, that trust in that. They can't follow you. Yeah. They're safe. That's what you were talking about, that sense of security. Yeah. And I think like it's it, like you said, because we construct the world around us and kind of yeah. put the horses into that. And we maybe can't see what they're seeing. And where I, I kind of tell people, I, I say like one of the things I, I say to people is uh, there's being there's being nice and there's being kind. Like a lot of the time, yeah. if you hear those two words, you just interchange them. But they're, they're no. sometimes sometimes the kindest thing to do to a person or yeah. whatever is, isn't very nice. It might not feel nice to you. And that might be disciplining your horse or disciplining your kid. Yeah. And, uh, and, and um, it's like if we were in, say, a natural disaster, the the person you might look to to get you out of it like if if there's a if the building starts falling down or it's on fire or whatever the person you might look to to get you out of that might not be the nicest person in the room um that and it's not saying they're not a nice person it's just saying they might you if you're on the ground having a fit and crying in the corner (laughs) they might come over and say hey get up get on your feet grab that grab that bag grab that and we need to get out of this house 
Uh, yeah, and then you get out, and once it's all over, you go, "Oh my goodness, thank you, you saved my life." But, yeah. but, uh, but you know, we as humans would be like, "Well, that's not very nice in a disaster," and uh, that's what uh, horses are kind of always one like one incident away from being because they're 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 prey animals, yeah. and uh, they're always kind of one incident of like something blowing past them or an animal a kangaroo jumping out from behind a tree away from needing you to be that person to say hey everything's all right we're okay um and uh and and i and relating back to the very start about being aware of our energy yeah uh they can they can tell that if you're riding through a trail and you are worried about something jumping jumping out or whatever they can tell without you even without the disaster happening yet they can be like this this guy sitting up here he's not gonna he's not gonna be the guy that's gonna get me out of this situation yeah so uh i think that's a big battle for people to understand is uh discipline isn't i don't think isn't discipline as we understand it it's more you know i like to think of it more as leadership and being a good leader and as a good leader of a whether it's a team of you know a team of people or or my horse or whatever I wouldn't let, you know, if there's people that I'm trying to, uh, you know, uh, lead in a work situation, I wouldn't let them walk in and like shoulder bump me and knock me back and then and then expect the next day to be like, oh, have you got that finished on that deadline? Uh, you know, I would, you know, you keep, you, and it's not, yeah, it's just kind of keeping things in order and uh, everyone knows where they stand and everyone's happy and especially with horses, uh, with them wanting leadership you know um that i think it's actually like the kindest thing to do to have really consistent boundaries and then you can be then you can be your horse's friend like you want to be because they kind of know where the boundaries are all the time um and uh and then then like you can truly be their friend because they're not going to be you know crossing the line and you're not being inconsistent um so yeah i think uh, if people maybe look at it like in that sense as you're just you're not you're not being mean and you're not you know uh uh being cruel you're just being a good consistent leader and then obviously it's down to the individual to look at the what they're doing you know like you know how they're handling how are they disciplining their horse and that sort of thing but uh but yeah i just think they're a lot more forgiving and they definitely need a lot more leadership than than sometimes we i, I see people want their horse to lead them out of stuff and i think yes. that's a pretty <laughs> i think that's a pretty uh unfair at times yeah. unfair burden to place on a horse you know yeah. oh, um, absolutely so. not when, we, funny... think... Sorry. Oh, okay. when yeah. we think about it horses don't know how to behave in our world like when we bring them into our lives we expect them to just to fit in with everything but they don't know how yeah. to react so we need to give them some leadership so that we can actually teach them what we're wanting from them. We can't just yeah, expect exactly. they're going to fall into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but it's so, so true about there's some people that just, yeah, want, want their horse to actually put up with them. Um, and there's yeah. only been one person I actually, a long time, I just had to refuse to ever help, you know, because 
they just wanted to hang onto their horse's face and mm-hmm. rip on its face when they went into canter. You know, and I couldn't get them. They yeah. just, they, they just, they wouldn't, they would not listen to me because they wouldn't let go of their safe, their safety things. So they wanted to hang yeah. on to their canter because they were worried about canter. But the fact is that they, they just wouldn't, it wouldn't do it. They wanted the horse to suffer for them you know, suffer and change yeah. and not be a horse for them. And it was just, that's one person's time. Sorry, just, you know, sorry, I'm too busy. <laughs> too busy. Yeah. yeah. It comes no. back to the stuff we've talked about too, Shelley, where people yeah. want to be nice to their horses all the time and they don't know how to not be nice. And they yeah. have those same struggles in all sorts of different areas of their lives. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's a little bit tied up. So I've kind of gone on this odyssey to try to work people out and especially to be able to help women um uh-huh. it's funny when you when you help men you just it's men and men are so so hilariously different than women to to coach um because yeah. men you just, you just tell them and they just go and do it like there's not yeah. have six thousand extra thoughts in their head that you got to unpick but i discovered two major things that that people do that you can't see or you're not aware of to get people into trouble so get your opinion on this Number one is women are worried about the horse liking them. Don't mm-hmm. want to upset them. They want to be friends, you know, yeah. because what I do, you know, I go help sort them out, get them being consistent and following through with their pressure. And then the next day they're sending them me messages because their horse wouldn't come up to them in the paddock the next day. They're all worried about yeah. that this upsetting thing and they're all worried about they don't want the horse to, to be upset. But the thing is, the horse resents them and is um, thinks very negative of them anyway, but they're blind to it, right? Um, anyway, so there's yeah. that aspect. So they want to be friends with the horse, right? And they don't want the horse not to like them, right? And it's mm-hmm. kind of that's a cultural thing or, you know, some kind of not good enough kind of thing that's been programmed into to people, you know. They want to be people pleasers and, and stuff like that. That comes yeah. down to that. The other thing that gets people in the trouble with you know, and it's mainly women with the many thoughts in their head is that when they're ride, because I know this, just putting my hand up that I discovered this, right? This is this yeah, is my yeah. problem, right? I discovered this long time ago. It was one of the first lessons I learned. It was like I didn't actually ride anywhere. I was riding the horse around, but mentally I was not riding there. I was looking down at my yeah. horse's head. So I was my meant my intention and everything like that was just in a spot on its back. I wasn't going anywhere. I gave that horse nothing to follow. Nothing to follow. I do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I get. Yeah, that. and yeah. so it was when I actually had look look up and ride. In fact, look up, look up and ride somewhere in the most common words that come out of my mouth. I'm going to look up and pick a point yeah. and ride. Through it. Look up. And- in fact, that woman yeah. there, cat. That's how we met. Your spooky Roger wouldn't go up the yeah. end of the arena until I've actually got good video footage of her. Of course, went up the end of the arena when she looked up there and rode up there. But when she was yeah. sitting on his back waiting for him to kill her, <laughs> he wouldn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 It makes a big difference, hey? It definitely, it definitely makes a huge difference of... Uh, like them knowing what you want is just looking where you want to go. It sounds, it sounds so basic, but people don't, you know, and it's hard because often people are trying to train the horse and like looking down when they're training or whatever. But I think it's also, then it feeds into too many thoughts and micromanagement. And I think if like, it's kind of like a cascade of looking down makes you kind of 
overthink and micromanage what you're doing and the micromanagement gets in the way of of like the simplicity maybe of what you want which it might be just forward you know like and that's where uh you you, you see like bucking and rearing and stuff is so oftentimes a forwards a forward problem and the forward problem is like uh you know like they they weren't the person maybe wasn't really wanting to go forward yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which well, isn't, might- it's, not al- it, it, it's not always the case. Like, obviously, like all the things I'm saying aren't always the case because I've rode horses that it, it wasn't the case. But uh, mm-hmm. usually my first port of call is like, is that the problem? Like, if, if I can't get a horse to go forward, it's like, well, the other thing is uh, like, the, like when I see kids playing around with jumps, you know, and going over little jumps and then they – they might go to a bit bigger jump and you see the kid looking at the jump a bit funny and then they go yeah. up and the, ho- the horse doesn't seem worried but the horse just stops and they go, oh, he won't go over it. And I'm like, no, you won't go over it. Like- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not jumping it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're putting on brakes. Uh, that's and that's, so a, that's as qualified as I am to give any talk on jumping is just uh, <laughs> that's, that's my, talking that's about my jumping thing a lot, right? log here. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely out of my wheelhouse right now, so I'll shut up. <laughs> no, that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm pole height, <laughs> so I'm not even oh, long. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry yeah. about that. Yeah. Oh, Brendan, this has been a super cool chat. I could um, probably we could go on forever. Go for forever, but we better let yeah. you go. I've kept you for an hour. Um, oh, yeah, thanks so much for your insights. A very cool, very cool chat. You are one very um, highly interesting person with some really cool stuff to say. So, thank you oh, so thank much you. for coming on our podcast. Yeah, it's, sorry about the technical glitches. No, that's <laughs> um, but we'll right. let I think them it's out. My end. Yeah, all good. That's all right. It was, it was uh, it was a pleasure coming on, and I really enjoyed chatting. And uh, yeah, thank you for yeah. having me on. Yeah, thank you. Thank I'll you. continue following on. And um, yeah, really appreciate your time. So what we'll do, we'll say um, goodbye now on the podcast, but just hang on there in two secs and we'll say goodbye properly. So okay. yeah, so thanks for having, thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you. Thanks for listening to Candor Therapy. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave a rating and a review where you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we're at Canter Therapy Podcast. You can find Shelly on Facebook at Dr. Shelly Appleton, Horse Training Coach, or she has a fantastic group called Calm, Willing, Confident Horses, where she's been doing weekly lives. If you'd like to find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Forenza Park. Have an amazing week, guys, and make sure you hug your ponies. <laughs>